everyone. I'm Gary Knoll. Nice to have you with us today. We begin our program with a study from Beijing Cancer Hospital, published in the Nutrition and Cancer. And it's about higher vitamin D levels are linked with lower risk of cancer deaths from all cancers. In an article published in Nutrition and Cancer, they reported a reduced risk of dying from cancer of any cause during a 70-month follow-up period among cancer patients who had higher vitamin D levels compared to those with lower levels. Very important, so get your vitamin D every day. The 25-hydroxyvitamin D, that's the best. And I suggest around 3,000 units a day. From Columbia University comes another study about high doses of B vitamins can completely offset the harmful effects of air pollution. So according to Columbia, despite our best efforts, the air quality in urban areas continues to be low. Uh, every lungful of that tainted air fills our body with toxic particles that can cause heart disease and other serious health issues. Thankfully, new research suggests that you can greatly reduce the harmful effects of air pollution by taking more vitamin B. Uh, the Columbia University study covered a group of healthy non-smokers who lived in an area with significant levels of air pollution. And the participants were supplemented with B vitamins for the duration of the trial. The findings showed that vitamin B supplementation undid almost all the negative effects of air pollution on the cardiovascular and immune systems of the participants. Their heart rates improved by up to 150%. The amount of white blood cells in their blood rose almost as high, and lymphocyte levels effectively doubled. This is really important, because if you live in any of the areas where you have pollution, and New York City has a lot of pollution, and think of living on Long Island where those highways act as a constant polluter of all the traffic. So you need to pay attention. Take 50 milligrams of the B-complex each day. That'll help. And from the University of Bristol, obesity may not be the only factor to link ultra-processed foods to higher risk of mouth, throat, and esophageal cancers. Eating more of what they call EPFs, ultra-processed foods, may be associated with a higher risk of developing cancers of upper area digestive tract, including your mouth, your throat, and your esophagus. That's according to this new study, the Inter International Agency for Research on Cancer. They looked at the lifestyle and diet of 450,000 adults who were followed for approximately 14 years, and they say obesity associated with the consumption of these ultra-processed foods uh, was not the only factor to blame as more evidence emerges about the association between eating these ultra-processed foods and adverse health outcomes. And uh, so just put this in common sense. If you're a person that does your yoga in the morning, Pilates classes, you go to the gym, you go for a power walk or bike ride, are you more or less likely than to want to be healthier? Well, clearly you want to be more fit but we've already seen examples of Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone that, uh, that they were very fit, 
but also they weren't healthy. Both of them ended up having heart conditions because they smoke and they don't have a healthy diet. But when you're looking at a bodybuilder or someone that's really ripped, or even a long-distance runner, you think, well, that person's healthy. Not true. They can be aerobically fit or muscularly fit, but it doesn't mean that they're healthy. So the person that is doing their exercise and doing their yoga and doing their meditation is far more likely not to eat the junk foods and the more healthy foods. So just a, you know, when you're when you're eating the ultra processed foods, the likelihood is that you're not also doing the yoga and meditation and dealing with stress and exercising properly. That's what the study is showing. Also, the German Center for Neurodegenerative Diseases in Germany, dancing can reverse the signs of aging in the brain. What they're saying is this. As we grow older, we suffer a decline in mental and physical fitness, which can be made worse by conditions like Alzheimer's. A new study published in the Open Access Journal Frontiers in Human Neuroscience shows that older people who routinely partake in physical exercise can reverse the signs of aging in the brain, and dancing has the most profound effect. So, dance all you can. It's really good for you. And these elderly volunteers, average 68 years of age, were recruited for the study and assigned either an 18-month weekly course of learning dance routines or endurance and flexibility training. Both groups showed an increase in hippocampal region of the brain. This is important, by the way, because this area can be prone to age-related decline and is affected by diseases like Alzheimer's. It also plays a key role in memory and learning. And, well, it keeps one in balance. But they found out that the dancing, square dancing, jazz dancing, Latino dancing, line dancing, all of that was better than working out just in a gym. And finally, from the uh, Women's University of South Korea, an article published in the Journal of Medicinal Foods, dramatically improve your health by eating almonds every day. Why? Well, if you want to improve your triglyceride and cholesterol levels, eating almonds every day will do it. And uh, this suggested eating almonds regularly can improve lipid profiles and body composition. So that's good. And this was over a 20-week period. So I would suggest a handful of almonds thrown into a smoothie or hot cereal can make all the difference in the world. One last thing, and this is from one of the most prestigious institutions in the world, the Karolinska Institute in Sweden. They found that the ADA and ADHD medications and long-term risk of cardiovascular disease were one and the same. So, if you have a child diagnosed with ADHD and you have them on their typical medications like Ritalin, and this was a big study, 278,000 individuals in the Swedish study, and uh, you end up with greater risk of heart conditions because of the medications, and that's not good. But if you want a holistic protocol to help with ADHD, on an upcoming this week, an upcoming classroom on the air, I'll be giving how to deal with ADHD and ADD in children and adults with no medication.
and I have two clinical studies that I conducted with a lot of individuals, we had a 94% success rate of reversing all their symptoms without any medications, and it was sustained. Interesting enough, some of the participants, the family members, were medical doctors, orthodox medical doctors who knew nothing about this approach. So I'll be giving you that information later this week. And by the way, don't forget we have a lot of information on our classroom on the air, and it's free, and I do one every day on a different topic. This week I'm going to do breast cancer, what to do if you have it, from an alternative perspective. And also, um, I'm going to deal with depression on our classroom on the air this week. And it's free, so take advantage of it. We're going to take a short break and come right back. Please stay with us. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Gary Nall. Something new starting today that we'll be carrying forward for the next month. What I've done over the weekend is I've, I've tried to isolate each of the major issues that we have been confronted with, such as COVID and uh, January 6th and the five years of attacking Trump. I don't like Trump, like nothing about Trump, but I like even less what they did. And it's all a lie. And now we have proof. And the Israeli, um, the Israeli conflict the Ukrainian conflict, all of the effort at artificial intelligence, transhumanism, automation, the loss of probably upwards of 40 to 60% of all jobs over the next five years without any discussion about this, none, where all the adverse effects that could occur, including the end of civilization as we know it, if artificial intelligence went rogue, remember, it's already said, it, meaning artificial intelligence robots, have said they intend to kill people. They don't want to be controlled by people who are less smart than they are, and they intend to hide their programming of themselves into a cloud that no human could find. But wouldn't that raise some red flags? It certainly did for one of the developers of artificial intelligence. He quit Google because of it. And no one seems to care. The whole rush is, let's get artificial intelligence because it's a $15 trillion a year industry, more than any industry in history. That's just These are just some of the issues that most people think, well, these are just different issues. They're not different issues. Woke critical race theory... They're not different issues. So what I've done is I've pulled all these together and showed there's one common denominator for all of them. But in order for this to make sense, I'm going to give you an overview now, but then I'm going to tie in how each and everything happening in our lives and has for the last 20 years has been predicted if we paid attention and has been controlled by forces that you are not aware of. I'm going to name those sources and show you proof of it. For example, today, I'm going to go into the proof that was right there all along that we should have paid attention to what was wrong in the Middle East. And we didn't. And this is on the disturbing moral disconnect in Western support for Israel. Why do we only look at one side of the equation and not both? I just finished inter, uh, reviewing a, 
a film this morning I did not know existed, a brilliantly done documentary about Palestinian Christians who had their Christian belief and have been involved in this for over 2,000 years since the beginning of Christianity. And they had a large population in uh, Palestine and how they were thrown out. All of them, they're, and they're told they could come back in two weeks. And when they went back in two weeks, they were told they could only work, get this, they could only be hired to harvest olives from their own family's gardens, which the Israelis already had confiscated. And when you see these people crying, these are old men who were children at the time, saying that here are our parents, in order to just feed us, we were starving to death, we had no homes, uh, we were sleeping out in the cold for weeks at a time. But if we wanted anything to eat that day, we would take a small amount of money from the Israelis to harvest our family's historic orchards that some of those have been in our family for over a thousand years. And now they belong to them. They weren't purchased, they were just thrown out. They were told, if you don't leave within 48 hours, we will kill you. And we have proof of that. Why is that never in anyone's discussion? Why can't Sean Hannity and the other people who have absolute... Well, I'll just say this. It is an embarrassment to know that all of the people, 100% of the people in the media, have not been able to find the courage to look honestly at the conflict in its entirety. Condemn Hamas for the attacks? Yes. Hold those responsible for slaughtering the innocent Israelis? Yes. But do the same the innocent slaughter and the apartheid regime and the massive killings that have occurred over the last 56 plus years. No, that's not in the equation. That's a commentary. And the, all of it ties together. You'll see later how Israel and its leadership and American media and its government and the arms manufacturer, all this is interconnected. Seems impossible. You haven't done the homework. I have. I'm going to put it all together for you. Now, what you want to believe after that is your business, but at least you're going to know the truth. And today, we're also going to show you Harvard, Hamas, and the barbaric death of discourse in the West. This is one you have not heard before from a person you didn't know existed, one of the most brilliant discourses. Do I agree with everything? No, but enough that I believe that we need to start at a different talking point. So let's go through some of this. For example, I'm going to start by giving the larger overview. Who, who is the largest policymaker in the world today? The World Economic Forum. And what are they doing? They've already talked about it at great length, not hidden. They call it the Great Reset because it includes the most comprehensive list of issues and threats. And everything they're doing is a threat to you. Whether you choose to believe it or not, they are behind it all. And I'll, I'll show you in detail. And, there, and all of this is underway, and it will have the greatest impact upon your lives. Let me give you an example. The Great Reset, it's a unipolar model of globalist interventionism into the sovereign rights of nations, which means then into the defined rights of citizens. It defines a new normal. Remember when Clinton and Gore were the new Democrats, just more corrupt than the old ones, which is orchestrated and implemented by a stakeholder class. 
What do you mean, Gary? A stakeholder class. Aren't we all stakeholders in corporations? No, you're a shareholder, which means that as a corporation profits, a percentage of that profit will be set aside for the shareholders. You bought a share. Or if you're a hedge fund, you might buy an industrial-sized share, millions of shares. Where do you think your pensions are invested to get them their return each year? In these shares. But that's not a stakeholder. A stakeholder is a different class that we've never had before officially. We've had it unofficially. And these are people never elected. They're selected from the most politically motivated global elite. Now, you don't have to be smart. Most of them are not. But you have to be successful. You have to be willing to cooperate with common set agendas, even if you've made your money or reputation in the field of like Leonardo DiCaprio. He's one of these. Or Bono, person who tries to sing. He's one of these. And all these individuals have nothing to do and couldn't understand anything that's deeper than their IQ. And yet they're right there in Davos. And they then become the opinion leaders. They go forth and you suddenly see them at environmental conferences. Of course, they got the environmental conference on a private jet. And they talk about saving the planet. But of course, they're eating the beef, which is one of the leading causes of methane polluting the air. Everything they do is a contradiction. And yet they have more power than you do over your future. So the stakeholder capitalism is the World Health, the World Economic Forum's revisioning of multilateralism, which is the current system. Remember Brenton Woods at the end of World War II? And uh, Brenton Woods was where they met, and that's where all these organizations were founded. Well, they want to revisit that. They, they've all been failures by the world. The, the World Bank, a total fraud and a total failure. The International Monetary Fund, a total failure. But not to the stakeholders, not to the people who got the money that came in from African nations who couldn't pay back their debts, so they had to turn over their airports, their roads, their, um, their airlines, their bus terminals. Everything that was an asset of a comp country was turned over to these people who then exploited it through their members. The members were the stakeholders. So the World Economic Forum's Great Reset is going to revision everything completely. Now it's going to have partners. It has partners now. Obama is a partner. And uh, there, the most invested stakeholders include the biggest companies in Saudi Arabia, uh, Saudi Arabia like Saudi Facebook, Google, Amazon, Microsoft, Apple, and pharmaceuticals, AstraZeneca, Pfizer, Moderna, in finance, BlackRock, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, Vanguard, State Street, Berkshire Hathaway, now, a corporate takeover global governance is happening, meaning the corporations now will have more power than governments. And, and this will be decided by artificial intelligence. And, of course, they'll say that it's more objective, more fair to have artificial intelligence because we're going to take all the money out of elections. Yes, they're going to allow elections by artificial intelligence. Well, who controls the programming? They do. Who are they going to select? Well, they'll tell you with their new stakeholder advisory boards that control what you eat, what you can eat, and also what you can't, what can be grown and what can't. And guess who's the largest farm owner in the United States? 
Bill Gates. Is there anything you should believe or trust about this man? All of our data, meaning everything on the Internet, and will be controlled by them, including constant media surveillance. So if you watch a movie, if you download a, an article, they'll know it. Your behavior, you, you can't travel without a digital ID and constant surveillance. There'll be surveillance that will face identify you on every plane, train, and in your cars. The new cars are going to be high-tech cars where they'll have an automatic off-on switch. They can stop or stop you from start you from going anywhere. They could actually control how fast your car goes. Yeah. When you sit in a uh, when you sit in a plane in a airplane seat, they will have your face in recognition. There'll be central control over personal finances, the CBDCs. There'll be spending habits monitored, blockchain and social credit monitoring, the use of fossil fuel consumption, uh, and they'll use that as a form of carbon credits. Your personal health and health care. You'll have vaccine and health identity. Now remember, there was a lot of ideas about they're going to put vaccines in food, and they've actually done that. They're doing that now. My question is, why would I want to eat something that has vaccines? And what if I was juicing it? Wouldn't I get a huge amount of vaccine? And what's the technology using? Oh, it's the RNA technology. They control it. They own the patents on it. They profit from it. But isn't that the same technology that's causing all these nano, uh, nanolipids to self-organize and fill up people's arteries and veins, causing stroke and heart attacks? Yes. Isn't that the same technology that one mortician found that 85% of all the uh, all of the embalming he did, he couldn't do it because the veins were filled. He had to get tweezers, and you see him in the film pulling out these long strings of what looks like rubber bands out of people's arteries and veins. Yes. And that's the technology they're going to be using for everything. I see. And does it matter that Dr. Janet, uh, Jessica Rose and others have found that upwards of 14 million Americans suffered adverse effects, not just minor, and that 1.6 million are now permanently disabled, and that 500,000 are dead, that doesn't seem to count. Because remember, you won't have anyone to complain to. They're going to see that a new chip is put into your body. Well, Gary, that's just a conspiracy theory. That's nonsense. Think so? Well, I've got the head of Pfizer saying exactly that. And when I tell you everything I've just mentioned, I've got video that they're saying exactly what I just told you in private sessions. Well, we have those sessions. You'll see for yourself. All the pieces are coming together. Even your living accommodations, they want rapid ownership of uh, properties and your land. So you will own nothing. Haven't you heard them say that a thousand times? You own nothing, you'll be happy. And if you're the average American, they're correct. At least 70% of Americans will turn over everything they own, providing that their debt is forgiven in the process. Well, the debt's an illusion. When the government creates the debt, there's nothing there to back it up. Therefore, why not forgive the debt? Since the government is the one responsible for this, they could 
they're waiting on that because then everybody's bills go away. You'll get a guaranteed income about some more or less $2,000 a month, but you own nothing. You'll be able to control nothing, even your living accommodations. And uh, by the way, you own nothing and be happy is not a populist grassroots mantra. It is the mantra created by the elite and dictated to the public. Now, that's just one group. But then we're going to get into the central banks, digital currencies. The offers the average person no benefits whatsoever other than the convenience of purchasing something. And it opens up countless opportunities for governments to control citizens' financial activities. And the central banks has absolute control over all rules and regulations and the technology to enforce it. And the biggest systemic risk is cybersecurity failure. Many pro-CBDC institutions state it is highly vulnerable to cybercrime. It depends upon the blockchain technology to operate, so this is tied directly to other draconian proposals like vaccine IDs, social credit scores, purchasing habit cards that also depend upon blockchain becomes a unified system. So you're in their matrix. If you're smart enough to understand that, good for you. And centralized storing of all personal data, everything you have in your life up to this point will be in one place that they can examine and see what quality or characteristics you have by based upon what you've read, you've written, photographs taken, your conversations all will be analyzed. Therefore, this is a huge privacy risk and they can freeze your accounts so you can't buy anything, you can't buy food, you can't travel, you can't do anything if in some way they deem your history up to this point to be something that they be, should be concerned about. Uh, they'll be complete, it'll completely disrupt traditional banking as we know it and raises serious questions about sustaining financial stability. Remember, there is nothing backing up what they're doing. Then you have big tech, the most dangerous of them all. The UN's 2020 Roadmap for Digital Cooperation, that's a stakeholder body, not elected, to these positions, and they all run by tech giants like Facebook, Google, Apple, Microsoft, and that they're meant to govern all social media. This program will no longer exist. The Progressive Radio Network will no longer exists. Not a single person that you are aware of that get honest information will exist. There'll be no Pacifica. Well, there's no Pacifica now for all intents and purposes. But you will have nothing that represents a viable challenge. Nothing. You will be nothing more than given with the institutionalization of the Internet with all of its regulations. All of these are going to threaten your rights and human rights. The Internet will become the means for the private elite to control public discourse and censor and monitor behavior of everyone. There'll be no marches, no demonstrations. There'll be no dissent, ever. You dissent, you can end up being arrested. And I said about artificial intelligence, I have about 300 videos right now in my collection on artificial intelligence. No matter how you look at it, it is one of the most dangerous single things we can have, and yet it is full force ahead. Everybody wants, especially young people, who don't understand the downside. Stephen Hawkins once warned that 
artificial intelligence could bring the end to humanity. Any democrat, democratic uh, concept is now anti-democratic because it favors the consolidation of power. True democracy means that you have the ability to have freedom even if other people don't like your freedom of expression. There will be a massive loss of jobs from automation. School teachers, gone. Professors, gone. That's not a bad idea. Um, <laughs> based on the ones I see, most are cowards and functional idiots outside of their field. And they never challenge their knowledge. You want, you want to show that you really are a person that's growing? Show me you surrendered your knowledge. That frees you to gain new knowledge. Just like science. When someone says, well, we have a consensus, then walk away from that person. They're about to lie to you. So we're going to have widespread violations, a lack of transparency, and the problem of algorithmic biases used by intelligence operations and social control. You see it right now in Israel. You see it all over the American media based upon Israel. You saw it about uh, January 6th. That's social control. Tell a lie long enough, and suddenly someone who's committed no crime is a demon in the eyes of the public. So anything you do with them, there'll be no compassion to comport with the outcome of their punishment. Already we've seen with TikTok and Twitter, before Musk bought it, you'll have deep fakes, create fake videos, fake photos, fake voice recognition as means to infiltrate and manipulate social treaties and regulations. Uh, so, and you'll have self-aware artificial intelligence that no human being will be able to control. And I can only imagine what they could do. And that leads us to transhumanism, the threat of redefining human nature by biology, move towards the post-human as a faux salvation, and promises no more disease. That's how they'll sell it to you. No more disabilities. Super functionality and intelligence. And no more death. Now imagine right now, and I said this 20 years ago, you've got two mothers. One is just a mother with a working class background herself and her family. She has a child. She doesn't have a lot of control over what the child will be genetically, she does have some control over understanding the energy she puts into that pregnancy and childhood can help guide that child towards a normal future or an unhealthy future. But then there's the mother who's rich, and she has the money to go to a cell lab and get an artificial implant. That artificial implant, she has a check. Check out how tall. Uh, if it's a male, six five. Color hair, uh, blonde, eyes blue. Uh, muscle capacity, uh, 220 pounds, rip muscles. Uh, IQ, starting at 200. They can do anything. Do you think they won't? Have you met a rich person yet that says, I have enough, I'm going to live a normal life with normal people? I'm sure they exist. Well, I'm being optimistic. Maybe in the Smithsonian Institute rare collection of humans, Human greed, human need. Create the need, and greed will follow. 
Who decides which genes are preferable or not? Nanotechnology plays an enormous role, which is the base of smart materials, such as metals and synthetic molecules, at the nanoscale necessary for brain-computer interface. Yeah, and they're going to want to put these in your brain so they can control your emotions and erase your thoughts and put in new thoughts. Then you have the urban redevelopment, first proposed around 2005 by urban economist Richard Florida, and now incorporated into the World Economic Forum's Great Reset, meaning everyone is supposed to live in a 15-minute city. But what about my place over there in Texas? Gone. No, we'll own that. You'll live in a 15-minute city, very congested. But everything we feel you need will be within 15 minutes. I see. So I'll have to rent a space? Yes. Will I be surveyed by everything in your house? Everything in your house, your telephone, your television, your computer, your microwave oven, your refrigerator, everything you turn on will be watching and listening to everything in every room of your house. We have to, Gary. I see. So then what about food and agriculture? Well, food defined as a commodity rather than a human right. Therefore, they can control it. What about the people we don't feel are contributing enough to society? Well, we don't need them. Controlled by private industry dictating to small farmers globally to dominate the world's food supply, farming will be more pesticide-intensive. Everything will be genetically engineered and patented. You will no longer be able to buy any organic seeds, heirloom seeds. You eat what they want you to eat. So you mean that they can actually put nanoparticles in a tomato and vaccines into lettuce? Yes. So if I'm a vegan, I'm going to be really overdosing on their vaccines? Yes. Will they care? Did they care about COVID vaccine? They didn't have any experimental data. You were the experiment fool. Hmm. So now every day, everything in my life, they're going to control? Yes, they will. Wow, kind of sounds like one of the last scenes in Soylent Green where the character played called the book because he was knowledgeable. He was older, Edward G. Robinson. And uh, he finally went to this place and walked in and they greeted him and, and asked him what color he likes. And he went to a nature scene and they gave him a drink and he laid on a table and for 20 minutes. And he wanted to make sure he got the full 20 minutes. And he saw nature they hadn't seen. They lived in this ghetto, dystopian environment and all this beautiful landscaping and animals and music. And then boom, lights out, he's gone, he's dead. Table tips, goes into a chute, and it becomes Soylent Green. That was fiction then. I'm not so sure what they'll do in the future, knowing how maniacal these people are. So you will not be able to own farmland in the future. That'll all be owned by the, the stakeholders. How about energy? Push towards Green New Deal to find with liberal capitalism. Oil and natural gas companies are as invested in green technologies as the renewable companies and they're subsidized. Carbon credits is only another monetary commodity as means to make profits and only limited impact on reducing greenhouse gases, which it does not do. Immigration, centralized control requires chaos, confusion, conflicts between popular ideologies to have a reason to 
exert policies to keep order under the present pretext of security and the safety of the population as a means to gain further control. Just take a look at the southern border. I'm all for immigration, but controlled, where you honor the people coming by starting in the country they're in, so that when they do make that migration, they already can speak English or the language of the country they're going to. They will have been skilled in the technologies or the work that is available. They will have a place to go where they'll have a humane treatment and not staying in hotels. And what about all the gang members? Well, that's not important. Let's not talk about how, if you look now, you'll see little bracelets on hundreds of thousands of the immigrants' arms. The wrists, they're different colors, green, blue, red, orange. What does that mean? It means which city they're going to go to, which safe house they're going to go to, who's going to be in control of their life. Well, who controls that? The Sinulea cartel. Because these are the people that didn't pay the full amount to come in the United States. So now they owe the cartel. So all these men are coming across with young kids that are not biological parents. And when they're we're stopped by border control, where are you taking these? To an uncle. What's your uncle's name? Don't know. Got an address, but nothing else. We do not have any idea, but it's certainly well above 100,000 kids have been brought in the United States for the sex trade because it's profitable business. And others for drug mules. And other terrorists have come from every country in the world that would like to do harm to the United States. And we have just allowed the most irresponsible immigration policy in American history. Why? It's simple. One reason only. Do you think any of these Democrats give a damn about any anything except power? No. Because they're the belief that as long as you give people everything that you they don't have in their home country, they'll vote for you. But what if they destroy a city? What if they create crimes? How are you supposed to take care of these? Who's supposed to pay for this? The average taxpayer. I see. And this is not supposed to have a bad outcome. Exactly created. They created a centralized control of chaos, confusion, conflicts between what people who live in a country, including former immigrants who came here properly, and those that they're just flooding the border. Hmm. As if that's okay. And that's going to get worse. A lot worse. Eight million are here now. It will probably triple. Then you got the COVID-19 pandemic. Do you think that's over? Not by a long shot. Still a lot of juice in that orange to squeeze. A broad network of private corporations, a pharmaceutical and financial sector, greedy doctors, greedy nurses, greedy pharmacists, everybody greedy. Yeah. And for what reason? Because they can control the narrative. The governments and their health ministries, the multilateral organizations like the World Health Organization, one of the most corrupt criminal organizations in the world, wants a treaty to control everything about health. And the non-GMOs, like Gavi, Gates Foundation, World Economic Forum, they're the ones who are profiting. And neuroscience and mental health, 90% of the U.S. Department of Mental Health funds spent on brain research and genes, to a lesser extent more than all behavior mental studies, good and bad, are regulated to simply uh, biochemical neural activity. Like more humans 
are reduced to utilitarian robots with a computer for brain. Great boom to the drug industry, a great boon to big tech. Artificial intelligence trained humanist engineering industries open doors to enormous immoral policies, including social control, assisted suicide, and eugenics. And I won't get into Russiagate, Ukraine war, or Israeli politics today. I'm just giving you an idea of the outline of what I'm going to be filling in in great detail with the people from each of these industries, each of these giving you exactly what I told you is going to happen, but I want you to hear it in their own words and then realize they are all connected. All of them are connected. And the average person doesn't have any of this awareness. So now we're going to give you that in detail. This is what thousands and thousands of hours of research has brought me to. So now I'm going to start. First up, uh, we're going to reverse things, uh, fellas in studio, Dylan, Kyle. We're going to start with the disturbing moral disconnect in Western support of Israel. This is just one of the voices speaking back that you will not hear anywhere or see in the media. Listen to what he says. You can agree or disagree, but listen to what he says is left out of all of our discussions, all of our debates about context and control the narrative. Let's go to the clip. You know, uh, I can't necessarily call it uh, immorality. It's not necessarily that uh, Western supporters of Israel are immoral. Uh, many do seem to have a kind of a sense of morality, but I think propaganda and indoctrination uh, has been sort of jammed into the mechanisms of their morality and caused it to short circuit. You know, uh, their morality has severely malfunctioned. It's like a moral version of cognitive dissonance, you know, moral dissonance. Because in order for uh, morality to work properly, uh, your brain has to work properly. And rigidly enforced propaganda, uh, incessant indoctrination, prevents the brain from working properly. So, for instance, uh, these people can actually know uh, the death toll in Gaza. They can know that 15,000 innocent people have been killed. Between 6,000 and 7,000 children, babies. They can know that. They can know that uh, Gaza is essentially an open-air concentration camp. They can know that. They can literally see uh, miles upon miles uh, of rubble that used to be buildings, used to be people's homes. And they can know uh, that hundreds of families are buried inside that rubble. They can know that uh, Zionists are dropping white phosphorus on civilians, on children. They can know that Israel is imposing starvation on two million people. But somehow they can defend all of that. You know, they can actually believe that it's justified. They can even call it self-defense. This is a complete uh, and utter breakdown of morality due to propaganda and indoctrination. Now, some of them, of course, are, uh, you know, just heinously wicked, degenerate people. Some of them are like that, you know, racists, white supremacists, uh, fanatic Christians, Muslim haters, Arab haters, and so on. Uh, those people, obviously, we can just dismiss those people out of hand. 
we don't expect morality from those people. But uh, I know that there are people who are taking the side of Israel who actually do possess some kind of moral sense, but that moral sense has been viciously subverted by indoctrination and propaganda. And this is what the West has done to its people. You've made them uh, helplessly dysfunctional morally. You have so relentlessly sabotaged their minds uh, that their normal moral functions can no longer operate uh, independently. They, they, they operate by remote control. They're like moral drones. You know, so they can literally see and be informed about monstrous atrocities, flagrant uh, inhuman war crimes, barbarity beyond description, and they can actually say and actually believe that it's morally justified. Well, that's just, that's horrifying. It's horrifying uh, that the West has been able to manufacture these moral drones who can be told and who can accept genocidal savagery, absolutely heartless, uh, psychopathic brutality, and they can believe that it's morally righteous, that it's moral, that it's righteous, that it's principled. People whose sense of morality is actually just a tool uh, because it's paralyzed, so it's just a tool uh, for rationalizing immorality. People who have no actual moral agency but whose sense of morality is nothing but a device employed by power to mobilize them in support of blatant evil. This is how contemptuous the West is, the, the power structure in the West, how contemptuous they are uh, towards their own people, that they would so completely immobilize their independent sense of morality, that they would turn their own people uh, into moral automatons, it's breathtaking, truly. I mean, you've created a population that can be morally convinced with rank immorality on command and who will defend it against all reason. You have slaughtered the conscience of millions upon millions of your own citizens, of your own population, of your own people, and you've denied them uh, even the possibility of taking a genuine moral stance on their own. You're consigning these people to disgrace in the annals of history. Your own people. You're essentially making them karma fodder. Because the reality is that immorality and injustice uh, will not and cannot prevail in the end. And you're depriving your people uh, of having any opportunity to do the right thing. The truth is on the side of the Palestinians. Justice is on the side of the Palestinians. Morality is on the side of the Palestinians. And that means that the future is on the side of the Palestinians. And therefore, by sabotaging the moral sense of your own people, uh, you are sabotaging the future of your own people. It's absolutely stunning to me how much the West disrespects and disregards uh, and has contempt for their own populations. SubhanAllah. Okay, that's one person's view. You can agree or disagree. But listen to this one. This is about Harvard Hamas and the barbaric deaths of discourse from a person you're not familiar with 
And again, certain things he said, I would say the opposite. But an awful lot of what he says about woke culture, identity politics is absolutely spot on. And how it, how the institutions at Harvard and the people who run Harvard are supporting that that dysfunction and that disconnect from our own humanity and causing us to end up acting like barbarians. Let's go to that clip. And by the way, I will not be taking a break from BAI, so at 55 minutes you'll cut away. We're going to go to the top of the hour with this. The barbarians are at the gates, folks, and we created them. And no, I'm not talking about Hamas or other terrorist groups like it or any relationship to blowback from the actions of our government and its allies. Far from it, actually. What I'm talking about is our kids here in America and around the first world. The kids who terrorize speakers on college campuses and HR departments and Fortune 100 companies. The kids who scream and cry and throw temper tantrums on TikTok over trivial encounters with ideas they dislike. The kids who believe speech is violence and also silence is violence. Who took to the streets to burn our cities after the tragic murder of one man, yet come out in explicit support of the mass murder of more than 1,400 innocent civilians in Israel. So... Why do I call them kids? We used to call people over the age of 18 young adults and would drop the young once they got into their 20s. But look at them. Look at the behavior we see on a mass scale. I call these people kids and children because that's what they are, because they're our kids. But they're also barbarians. And it's our fault because we've not only failed to raise adults, we have failed to act like adults ourselves. We've coddled and encouraged a generation of barbarians through both intentional activism, confusion, and just downright neglect. We've allowed our educational institutions from K through PhD to become captured by the enemies of civilization itself and transformed into barbarian incubators. Our media and politics have not only cheered this on, but profiteered from it at every step. And now they are the barbarians inside our gates. If we don't do something about this right now, they will tear this civilization to the ground. And frankly, my greatest fear is that it may already be too late. Look, I'm the father of a high school senior, and our family is looking at all of this with a mix of shock and horror. The stakes for my son and his future are high, but frankly, the stakes for our civilization are so much higher. I know that using the term barbarian, especially against the backdrop of a war in the Middle East, is very loaded. So let me be clear on what I mean here. Since civic scores in this country are even worse than congressional approval ratings, let me recount the origins of this word. Barbarian comes from the Greek word barbaros. I might be mispronouncing that. But regardless, it used to be used to describe basically anyone who didn't speak Greek. The Greeks thought other languages like Arabic and Hebrew and Aramaic sounded like other people mumbling bar, 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 and so barbaros. This is a pretty gross criticism, right? It sounds a lot like Durka, Durka, Durka from Team America World Police, not exactly Socratic discourse. The Romans and the broader Christian Europeans thereafter used the term barbarian in very similar ways. For everyone from the Vikings to the Mongols, colonial powers used it to marginalize the people they conquered. What does all of this history have in common, though? 
tribalism, othering, identity politics. The common thread is judging other people on the basis of their superficial group identity. Sound familiar? I'm not going to play coy here. Critical theory, the overarching sort of Marx-inspired philosophy of our elite institutions, is similarly barbaric. And frankly, so are the right-wing reactionaries who reject critical theory's leftism, but embrace its tribalism and victimhood complex for themselves nonetheless. The best use of the word barbarian, and the one I'm using here, is as a description for those who oppose civilization, who are not just uncivilized, but seek to destroy all who are. This is the Enlightenment definition. And here's the thing. It is absolutely uncivilized and thus barbaric to reduce other people's humanity to their identity or some other inhumane and otherwise Marxist abstraction. The word civilization itself also has its roots in the ancient world, in the Latin word civitas, or city, and civis, or citizen. It was Enlightenment thinkers in France and England who used civilization to describe the noble, peaceful pursuit of truth and human progress. This is civilization best described. To do those things, of course, is to become civilized. That's why having a debate over conflicting points of view is called civil discourse, while screaming like a toddler and threatening people who disagree with you is uncivilized. It's barbaric. Using force and violence to get your way or celebrating it is barbaric. This is the barbarism our kids have been raised and educated to embrace. It's become the animating principle of the institutions who claim to exist for the sole purpose of pursuing truth and building up our civilization, our schools, our universities. You walk onto the campus of Harvard, our oldest university, and you see Romanesque architecture, stone columns, grand archways. The school's motto is in Latin, veritas, truth. Show me an elite university, and I'll show you an Enlightenment motto carved in stone. But this is all an echo of the past, a facade, a Potemkin village. Harvard's motto, and all the rest, if they were being honest, should be Barbaros. Truth be damned, the tribe is king. Harvard's MBA program is renowned for using case studies. So I think it's only fitting that we use Harvard itself as a case study in barbarism. Let's recount a few recent facts so they don't get lost in the fog of war. On October 7th, over 1,400 innocent Israeli civilians were massacred in an orchestrated, planned, and purposeful paramilitary assault by Hamas. They came by land, sea, and air. They went door-to-door -door killing and kidnapping innocent men, women, and children. This was an intentional act of terrorism. It was barbaric aggression and the murder of Jews on a scale not seen since the Holocaust. And that night, while the civilized were in shock, while I and others around the world were rushing to WhatsApp to check on friends and relatives in Israel and offer prayers, condolences, and help, over 30 student groups on Harvard's campus released a joint statement by Harvard-Palestine solidarity groups on the situation in Palestine. Among these was the school's affiliate of Amnesty International. The letter, which we'll link to in the notes below, asserted the following, and I quote, We, the undersigned student organizations, hold the Israeli regime entirely responsible for all unfolding violence. The apartheid regime is the only one to blame. So Israel was entirely responsible for all the unfolding violence? The only one to blame? What? Now, 
These Harvard students were not alone, of course. As we've seen, this kind of celebration and defense of barbaric brutality swept the so-called elite Western world. A Columbia professor called the Hamas attacks awesome, a stunning victory. A Cornell professor called the attack exhilarating. Pro-Palestinian protesters took to the streets, producing the rightfully infamous and, again, irony-free Queers for Palestine image that's gone viral for obvious reasons. I'll come back to this one because, in a way, it's a Rosetta Stone into the nature of the barbarism we now face. There are plenty of condemnations of these students and professors and their stances out there already. One can absolutely make the case, which I personally completely agree with, that they are barbarians themselves and supporters of barbarism. But here's the thing. In civilized societies, we allow crazy, stupid, and even downright evil things to be said. That is, in fact, a hallmark of civilization and civil discourse. America leads the world in this with our explicit First Amendment protection of free speech and association. Hateful speech is protected speech. Still, and it still should be, because the only way to discover truth is in an open, full-throated battle of ideas. Hateful speech, as so many have said, is defeated with more speech, not censorship. Places like Harvard claim to be the absolute vanguard in this pursuit of truth, of veritas. So how did the institution respond? On October 9th, two days after the 30-plus student groups blamed the victims, Harvard President Claudine Gay signed her name, as well as many others, to a letter that was, I would say, conspicuously constrained. It makes no mention of the group's reactionary screed. One long sentence, I think, best captures the posture and tone of this letter. And I quote, We have no illusion that Harvard alone can readily bridge the widely different views of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. But we are hopeful that, as a community devoted to learning, we can take steps to draw on our common humanity and shared values in order to modulate rather than amplify. Okay, that's some of a 30-minute discussion. What's important in what he said is, and he would go on to say that the president of Harvard, um, when she was a professor, condemned an African-American professor who took issue with the George, George Floyd aftermath, and she had him removed. She started a whole campaign and he was, in effect, canceled. And, uh, and why was that not a point of contention? So what we have is we have, for the first time, a young group of people realizing that something is terribly wrong in Israel-Palestinian conflict, and they should, in measured ways, first do their homework. Look at the history. Know your history. Then look at the history going back thousands of years, of who conquered whom. And because someone says that God ordained this land for us, then it's our land. That's not the principles by which a modern society or civil society works. It's tribalism. And yet he is supporting the, uh, the people who are supporting Israel. Hence, two different points of view. The first commentary and the second commentary. But what I, and that's why I said I would disagree with him, but what I would agree with him on is what we're at now is a sense of tribal barbarianism, balkanization, where we can't have a civil conversation about anything. People just rant, rave, scream, 
and are violent more often than not in some respects. Some are. And you can't just go to a college campus today if someone at the campus feels that your presence there is a threat to their very existence, even though they wouldn't know a thing about your, your, what you're doing and you've been invited by students to be there. They want to disrupt it. They want to prevent you from doing this. This is all over. This is at Oxford University. And so that is barbaric. And as he said, and I would agree with this, no matter how offensive the language is, you still have to respect a person's right to say it as you disrespect what is said. And so because when we start saying you can't say something, that's hate speech, and then on the other end, you didn't say enough, your silence then becomes a form of hate speech. So either way, you have no speech. You have, they've, they've completely canceled you. And that's happening now everywhere. And corporations are embracing this as well. We're living by someone else's doctrine, not our own free will and our own ability to understand life. Someone has to spoon feed us what we should believe, what we should think, and what our response should be. And now the great awakening by the World Economic Forum is you will all own nothing. You will know nothing except what we will tell you to believe in. And we'll control that as well. Wow. This is just the beginning. I have a lot of films that you'll be able to listen to, and then I'll do commentaries after each one to give you an idea of, of what is being revealed. Because right now they are feel they're in such control they can do anything, so they're no longer hidden. It's no longer conspiracy. And they're all interconnected. How they're connected, showing each one is a piece of the puzzle, and suddenly you go, oh, wow, I didn't realize that. Well, hopefully within two months, that will become self-evident. And then you'll start to realize, maybe I ought to do something. Hopefully. In any case, we're here to provide that platform for truth. Thank you all for listening, and have a nice day.